why go RIA when wirehouses are offering huge upfront checks? That is today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 94. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources I make available from this entire series in video format, uh, podcast format of articles, I have white papers, all kinds of things to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transitiontoria.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the idea if you're an advisor out there and you're considering options in the marketplace and, and you're saying, okay, maybe I should go down this RIA path. I should maybe learn more about it. Maybe that's the right fit for me. But there's these huge wirehouses uh, offering these these huge, uh, these large wirehouses offering these huge uh, upfront checks, bonus checks if I join them. Uh, and so why shouldn't, why should I be going RIA when, when these wirehouses are throwing this money around? And what kind of prompted me to make this episode, and this is this is nothing new. I just happened to see uh, a few of them more recently. Is you just you just see a lot of firms that that is that is the leading message that they're basically putting out there with with uh, whether it's these wireless firms trying to attract advisors and they're, they're touting all these big checks or there's industry participants that would that would help advisors maybe try to find a wirehouse and that that's the the leading line they use when they when they try to connect with advisors. Oh wow, do you, are you aware of the big checks that are being offered? And I, I just personally think that's a lazy approach to try to help advisors. That's that's not trying to help advisors understand, you know, how different options compare, what different models look like, what how the economics work in total, or anything like that. That that's just a lazy way to basically say, oh wow, look at this big shiny object. And, and and look how great this is. And, and and that has to be considered, but it's only one of the variables that have to be considered. And, and, and particularly even with the total economics, it's just one of the variables. So I think it's a very lazy approach that a lot of industry participants use um, to, to try to uh, get advisors' interest or to, to peak a conversation. And, and so I did want to uh, I just happen to have seen, I mean, again, it's been going on for a long time, happen to have seen some here recently, and it prompted me to make this episode to, to, to try to clarify some of the differences between what happens when you take that check and kind of how that would look if you had gone down the RIA model instead. So uh, for starters, just a quick little clarification, uh, in the RIA model, and those that have listened to a lot of my episodes, there's multiple different ways about going, uh, transitioning your practice into the model, but but one of those paths, for instance, is to join an existing RIA. And, and there are some RIAs that offer that upfront, often referred to as transition assistance or TA, uh, if you join them. So don't have the impression that, oh, if I go down the RIA path, that there's no upfront money. And in some cases, there's not. And then the economics are such that that's still not necessarily a bad thing, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But just know that there are some that do offer some amount of transition assistance. But to be clear, well, even though it can still be a you know reasonably healthy number, it's nowhere near these large, uh, uh, shiny checks that the wirehouse firms like to like to wave around. So, but, but just know that it exists uh, in, in in some cases. Uh, so from from there, I want to kind of give five main observations, points, whatever you want to call it, about the ramifications of taking that check. 
and kind of how that differs if you had not taken that check and gone, you know, essentially RIA instead is, is kind of what I'll wrap up with. Uh, so the first one on when you think about this large check that they're offering, first one is that's not a gift. That's not free money. That's not the wirehouse just being generous and saying, oh, let us give you this money. And, and a lot of, I think, uh, folks see it that way. Oh, well, they, they will give me this big upfront amount of money. Uh, and the, the best best way I, and I can't remember where I, I heard it, but it was a, an advisor. I, I remember it was an advisor on a podcast. And unfortunately, I can't remember what podcast it was on or what advisor it was to give them credit for it. But I thought they articulated it best when they were talking about the subject and they were talking about that large upfront check. And they said, no, 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 no. It's not the firm giving you a check or a gift or a bonus. That's, hey, advisor, that's your money. That's your money they are giving you. They are just giving you your uh, a big chunk of your money up front as opposed to over a series of years. So you're going to get more of your money up front than you would have over the years that follow. Now that's going to be lower than it otherwise uh, arguably could be or, or would be in the RIA model as an example for the benefit of getting it up front. It's your money. They're not giving you a gift. They're not giving you their money. Uh, they are essentially from a cash flow perspective, but it's essentially fronting your, or, or fronting you your own money in, in return, locking you into all kinds of ramifications, handcuffs, uh, uh, differences, again, with how you can run your practice versus other approaches. So it's not free money by any stretch of the imagination. It's your own money, and it comes with significant handcuffs, which we'll kind of get into here as well. But you kind of have to mentally reset. They're not just, they're not just, it's not charity. They're not just giving you money freely out of their own pocket. Um, the the next point or observation I'd make about uh, upfront checks is you have to, and you and, and you might've heard me talk about this in, in a couple of different episodes, regardless of which path you go down, whether you want to join a wirehouse or some regional broker dealer or, or look at the RA model, you need to look at uh, the economics for sure. That's right. That's a big pillar of any affiliation models, how do the economics look? It's not the only variable, but it is a big variable that should be considered. But you shouldn't look at just one piece of those economics. You need to look at the aggregate economics in total. So not just, hey, what, what do I get essentially on day one, that proverbial upfront check? Not just that, hey, what do I get over the lifetime of my, my career while I'm in that model? What, what does that math look like? And then what does it look like on the tail end when I'm when I'm perhaps then it's my succession point and there's a valuation put on the practice and I'm, I'm moving on. And you have to consider all three in aggregate. You can't just be blinded by that upfront piece. And so an analogy I would give you, and I think it's it's human nature to often be blinded by whatever this shiny object is here on the front end or the most uh the part of the the part of the puzzle or the calculation that will be the most immediate impact. When buying a car, if you go to buy a new car, in reality, from a rational economic viewpoint, there's three things you should factor into your decision on the economics of have or of you acquiring that car. So the first one is what is the price of the car? That's what you have to pay on day one, right? So that that is very meaningful. That catches your eye. Okay, how much does this car cost? However, you also should, and let's say you you plan on, hey, I'm I'm going to keep this car for five years. That's my plan. You also should say, well, what is the average cost of maintenance for this vehicle 
over the five years or, or whatever period of time you plan on having that car, there's data online where you can get that. That does vary. Some cars are known to break down more than others. Some The repairs on some cars are, are more expensive than others. So you have to factor, okay, what is that cost of, of ownership while you, while you own it? What does that cost? And at the end, you also have to figure out what is the resale value of that car going to be? Some cars hold their resale value or their, their valuation pretty good that when you buy it, yes, of course, it's going to go down over the five years. Uh, but there's there's a big disparity between some cars that will lose uh, maybe twice as much value from from what the resale uh, market will will put a price on that car uh, than another vehicle. And so you should, if you're buying a car, look at all three of these pieces, aggregate them up and consider the, and that's how you should consider as far as the economics go. I know there's other variables why you might pick one car or the other, but with, with respect to the economics, you should do that. We don't, right? For the most part, as humans, we generally don't do that. I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm aware of this, but you do, you like the car perhaps in, in that, that initial sales price, we give an, a far uh, overweight to what that initial sales price is when we should. That's only one third of the puzzle. And so it's the same thing with being an advisor. You can't get blinded by that day one event, that day one economic event. And yes, it might feel good. You might get that dopamine hit to get that big check and it goes in your pocket on day one. But in return, if you've just committed to maybe a 9, 10, 11, 12 year uh, lock, lockdown with that firm, you, uh, day one will move on to day two very quickly. And you now and you should be looking at the entire piece of the puzzle. So, so I would encourage you again, it's, it's all about the aggregate math. Don't be lost by just what happens on day one. Um, moving on, if you like that day one excitement and that dopamine hit and wow, that big check and wow, I can open up my bank account and, and look at that money. The reality is if, if you were so inclined to, to have that big event, you could manufacture the exact same thing in the RIA model as you get in in the wirehouse model. So what I mean by that, we're going to use just very simple math here, just for the for the sake of argument, is let's say you are a, uh, and it's a hypothetical, so I'll assume you kind of get your revenue started again on day one, but just for the, for the sake of argument, uh, is let's say you were to get some sort of big check and go to a wirehouse and you're, you're producing a million dollars a year in fees and commissions, and for that, you have a 40% payout. Now, it's never that easy. I've ranted about that, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of Gimmicks in the payout. That's not really what goes in your pocket. But for, for math purposes, we're going to say it's 40%. So you're taking home 400000 Well, in the RIA model at that same level, million-dollar producer, uh, you might very reasonably be able to take home 60% uh, at, at the end of the day. So that's between difference between 400000 and 600000 Now, this path over here might not come with an upfront check, maybe maybe a little or maybe none at all, but let's say it's none at all. And so all of a sudden over here, you get a big check, but but from there on after for, for perhaps 10 years, you get 400,000 over here, maybe no check, but you get 600,000. So that gap of 200,000 a year is the difference. So if you were inclined, if you said, wow, I have to have that big check, I have to be able to look at my bank account on day one. In theory, hypothetically, if you went down this RIA path, you can go out and borrow money. Let's say you go out in a bank and, and whatever the collateral situation, but you borrow a million dollars from the bank. And guess what? You put that in your account and you feel good about it. And there it is in your account. And I, wow, look at this. Look at this big a million dollars I just got. And then over the, the balance of, say, that 10-year period, you're using part of that 200000 
to pay that loan back. And so again, it's it's your money, like I said at the top. So you could effectively manufacture your own upfront. You say, hey, borrow the money, give yourself the big check, and then just from the additional earnings you would have in the RA model, pay off that loan over time. Now, you might say, well, why would I do that? I'm going to pay interest on the loan. That doesn't make sense just to put it in my pocket just so I can see it in there and 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 then just pay it back. But that's what you're doing in the wirehouse world. You're getting the big check. Effectively, you're paying that back under very onerous loan terms by getting that upfront bonus check because you're making a lower payout over the balance of, of your time with that firm compared to what you could in the RIA model. So just know that was important to you. You could, in theory, hypothetically manufacture your own upfront check. Uh, the next item, number four, uh, is just to remind you that that big upfront check of the wirehouse world uh, is W-2 income or is tax at W-2 personal income tax rates. Whereas in the RIA world, uh, you know, particularly we'll, we'll say you don't even do this manufactured upfront check, but you're just getting that higher income as time goes by. And that's where in aggregate, you're making, you're making more money. Um, that because you're an independent small business owner in many instances, the tax benefits of being a business owner are significantly better than they are a W-2 employee. Now we could argue is that fair or not in the in the, in the in society? It is what it is. The 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 ability to uh, expense things, the ability to depre depreciate things, the ability to contribute more to retirement accounts. Uh, it absolutely is more advantageous in that independent space than it is in the W-2 space where you're paying personal income tax rates. So that that check that comes in, if you can be patient and just wait for it to the same same amount essentially to come in over time, the, the tax, the way you can uh, treat that from a tax perspective is significantly better as well. And I realize if you get that big upfront check, you're not taxed all in year one. I know it's you're taxed throughout the life of the, uh, the the vest period, but still, it's still W two income tax rates that you are paying. That same money coming just in a different fashion can be taxed differently as a as an RA as an independent business owner. Uh, and so the last point I'd make is just just remind you, and this always blows my mind. If you take that giant upfront check from a wirehouse, you you typically in re in response have to lock yourself in. For usually between nine, I've seen 12. I've even seen, I talked to an advisor the other day that the way it was all structured, it would take 13 full years would have to pass for him not to owe any of that back if he were to leave prior to that. You could say, oh, well, I'm not locked in. I can always leave. I would just owe it back. Technically, that's true. I, I would tell you from experience, it's very hard to mentally uh, you know, once a couple years pass and you remove from that, that money's long since been in your pocket. Maybe you've spent it. Some advisors have spent it. They pay off the house or whatever. Even if you've been good though about kind of just keeping it in your account, it's mentally hard to one day write a check for potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars back, even though it might make sense that you're pivoting to the economics gonna be better over here. It's it's mentally hard to do that. So for the most part, you are essentially kind of locked in for that nine, 10, 11, 12 year period. And it blows my mind but people are willing to, for the sake of that upfront check, you're if you do that, you basically say, hey, yeah, I, I like that big upfront amount of money. Uh, and by the way, I realize I have no control over the changes you are going to make it, that are going to impact my practice over the next nine to 12 years. So there could be a change to the branch manager. There could be change to regional management, uh, firm management. 
who knows what decisions those folks will then make that could impact my practice uh, for better or worse. I, I, I'm taking that big check and I realize, oh, you are going to change the payout generally every year for the next 9, 10, 11, 12 years. Guess what? It usually Those changes usually never benefit the advisor. So you're willing to take check on day one and have no control over how your economics will play out over a decade plus. And historically, changes do happen and those changes are not in your favor. You are just willing to trust that that won't go too sideways on you, that those that those impact or those changes won't be too impactful over 10 plus years. That is a big leap of faith. So I encourage you to realize you get that big money. Again, it's not free money. You are now tied in for a very long time where you have little to no control over changes that will impact your practice. Um, so th those are kind of just some quick, that's not an exhaustive list of some of the challenges of taking that upfront check. Um, and, th and then just to give you a quick you know, reminder on, okay, if you were to go to that RIA space and you were willing to play the long game, right? So you, you can't get blinded by day one. You, you can't even get blinded by year one or year two, because if you do take that upfront check in aggregate, you know, so you get a big check and then you get a lower payout over here. If you go to the RA space, maybe no check, but higher payout, it will take perhaps a couple years for that. And when you do the aggregate math for the, in the RIA path for your higher income every year and aggregate as you add up, how much money is actually going in your pocket. It might take two, three, four years before that, maybe even five years before that aggregate math exceeds the math you'd achieve over here because of that big day one event. However, if you are committing yourself to that 10 years or more, Right? You, if you've locked yourself and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay in the profession at least 10 years, I'm now going to stay at least in the same model for 10 years, because that's what you're committing to when you when you sign on in, in that in that wirehouse and you agree to that that long time. So if you are if you are saying, hey, I will commit to that, well, what difference does it make if it if it's that crossover point of where it becomes more profitable and aggregate is that you're two, three, four, five, or whatever, because in, it will eventually cross over that point and you will be better off. The example I often give, no longer a great example because of interest rates, but it's refinancing a mortgage, right? that if you were in a situation you could refinance your mortgage to a lower interest rate, you got to pay closing costs, um, in, in, but, but you'll save money each month on, on your interest expense, right? So when you do that math, you say, okay, well, we got to pay the closing costs and it's going to be however many thousands of dollars, but each month I'm then going to save maybe however many hundreds of dollars a month in interest. And so you could just do that math and say, okay, as long as I'm in my house another two years or whatever that, that kind of period it might take for that, that increased uh, interest savings to, to pay back your you know, upfront cost of closing costs. But once you reach that threshold, once you reach that crossover, you are better off indefinitely with that new mortgage. So it's the same thing. You, that aggregate math, yes, the wirehouse advisor will be better off for the first couple of years, but that math eventually crosses over. So if you're willing to play the long game, which you should because you're committed to playing the long game, you're committed to 10 plus years, you might as well consider the aggregate math and make your decisions based on that instead. Uh, related, if you are committed to being the long game again, at least say 10 years, that means you're committed to at least 10 more years in the industry. Well, over that 10 years, you presumably want to continue to grow your firm. You need to continue to grow your firm. Costs, cost in life continue to go up. If you're not growing, you're you're eventually dying slowly. So you 
you have to just to, to keep a viable practice. And then certainly everyone desires ideally to make you know a higher income over time. And so if you're going to lock yourself in for 10 years, would you rather lock yourself into a model that is very restrictive on how you can market yourself, how you can brand yourself, the services you can offer your clients, the services and, and tools you can use as an advisor to, to manage your practice? Or over here in the RA space, you have significant more flexibility in, again, what services you offer your clients and how you run your practice and the technology you decide to use. So if, if you're committed to 10 more years, would you rather have much more flexibility or much less flexibility and flexibility? You really have no control over someone else dictates to you what you can or can't do. That's a big difference as well. Um, next, uh, on the and again, this comes back to the aggregate math. Again, don't overlook the enterprise value of your practice at the end of, say, this 10-year commitment you've, you've agreed to. So let's say when you take that big check, at that point in time, you're mentally saying, okay, I, I want to be in this industry 10 more years or this profession 10 more years. And guess what? They're going to give me a check and it's again a 10-year vest. So that will work. And then by the way, at the end of the 10-year, I can do their maybe their sunset program uh, as they're often called. And, I, and then I can essentially get another compensation at that point. You, you you should factor in that that hey what is that succession economic event and so as you do that math again that's the equivalent of the resale value of the car at the end of the life of the loan in the RAA model the valuations on a practice in the RAA model are are significantly better it's just the data has proved it than they are than what you can get in a sunset program with a wirehouse firm and part of that significance is how it is taxed. So in that in that wirehouse world, even if, which is not the case, even if they gave you the same valuation that would have well, the money that would eventually go in your pocket, however the succession plays out, that's not the case. There's usually always higher multiples paid on a practice in the RA space. Uh, but even if it was the same, over here it's taxed again. W two personal income tax rates in in the RA space, you you generally can uh, structure that. So perhaps maybe 85% of that is paid at capital gains tax rate. So the, you have to factor not only, don't lose sight of, okay, what is the economic value of my practice at the end of the 10-year period if I was in a wirehouse and I got that big check or the RA space, what is the valuation of my practice at the end of that 10 years? And, and just as important, it's often overlooked on an after-tax basis. So you have to factor that into your calculation. And all of a sudden, when you start running that math, you say, wow, that that big bonus check isn't as appealing as I thought it was. It was, it's very exciting on day one, but in aggregate, this math is not looking so good anymore. So you have to factor all of that in. Um, uh, and then just the last point I would make is again, is just don't be, uh, or, or just be aware of the challenges being locked into something for 10 or more years where again, all those changes could occur you have little to no vote and all that in the RA space, particularly if you have your own RA. Well, yes, you still have to adhere to regulators, which by the way, all advisors have to play by the same rules. And you still have vendors that that could change over time with how they do things, which is the same in the broker dealer world. But, but you have much more flexibility to make changes with your practice over that period of time. You're not locked in. If you if you go down one path and let's say you, you join an RA, that's the best next step for you. And then and then five, six, seven years into that, you you decide, okay, now at this point, I, I want to have my own RIA. Well, guess what? If if you if you've chosen the right solutions to go with from day one, you're able to do that, and there's not ramifications. You don't have to worry about being sued or anything like that. You don't even have to move your assets again. 
you have that flexibility, you're not locked into 10, 11, 12 years of where you can't do something unless you're going to write this big check back, which again, people can say, oh, I'll, I'll keep the money aside. I'll do it. Whether, whether you don't have the money or just it's mentally hard to write a check back for hundreds of thousands of dollars, it just doesn't happen in practice. People usually want to see out their vest period, even if this situation is way better for them. So don't put yourself in that situation to begin with. Have that flexibility over the, if you're going to commit to 10 years, you might as well have more flexibility with how you run your practice and what you can do with your practice if you want to take your practice in a different direction. So I hope that's helpful. Obviously, you can tell I'm, I'm passionate about not getting blinded by this big upfront check. I'm uh, I'm frustrated when I see laziness in the marketplace. Again, whether it's the firms writing the checks and that's kind of their lead in line, or it's people in the industry that are helping you try to figure out your next path. And that's their lead in line because they don't want to, either they don't want to take the time to explain all this to you. They're just not they're not familiar with how all of this works or the differences. And so it's just easier to say, oh, wow, have you seen how much this firm's paying and they're paying X and oh, wow, over here. And this is the, the most that's ever been paid. I think that's a lazy approach. Don't get blinded by it. It, it never hurts. I always say, I so obviously I'm biased towards the RA model. I think it's, I think it's great for most advisors. Um, but I have no problem when I talk to advisors, hey, fully understand the RA model. Fully understand that wirehouse model. Because guess what? At the end of the day, if you take the time to, to, to to fully peel the onion back and, and look at all the variables, it, the, the RA model essentially almost always wins when you put them side by side. So I have no problem saying, oh, hey, go look at this. Ask about that big check. Because when you put them side by side, plenty of advisors see that the RA model ends up being the better option for them. So uh, I'll quit my rant on that point, but you can see I'm quite passionate about this topic. Uh, so with that, like I said at the top, my name is Brad Wales with Transition RIA. This is the type of thing I help advisors with. So if you are considering, you're at one wirehouse now, you're thinking maybe should I go to another wirehouse? They're offering me this big check. Uh, how would that compare if, if, if instead I were to go to the RIA model? That's the kind of conversation I have all day long. Happy to have that conversation with you. Um, in the interim, if you want to learn more, again, uh, as I said, if you go to transition2ra.com, you can see this entire series I make in video format, podcast format. I also have articles, also of white papers. Uh, but the easiest thing to do is at the top of every page is a contact link. If, if you click on that, you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. Whether you want to talk about today's topic or anything else RIA related, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.